Hello, folks. This is Princess. You are listening to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share with your friends. It's tough. We're in a very tough spot. I think that what we're doing right now is a great benefit and virtue because it's an end around between this whole corrupt informational system, media system. We claim to believe in a God who spoke the universe into existence and literally raised himself from the dead. And yet we're not going to believe that anything else exists in the spirit realm, even though his word tells us that they do. Their bodies weren't permitted to go to sleep like humans do, and they weren't permitted to go to heaven. So they wander the earth. You know, I've seen the eyes turn black to unknown tongues being spoken. These giants would live way up in the highlands. The young braves, the young men, would hide up in the trees and wait for one of these 12 footers to come walking down the path, and they would jump on them, kill them, drag them back to the village, and the village would feast on the body. Then people start to get weapons, they start to get armor, they start to build cities, they start to fortify their cities. Now, God looks down and there's violence everywhere. The battle, this war that we are at, is not against each other. It's against these principalities and these rulers and these archons in the high places. It's really worthwhile to read the Bible yourself. Fear is one of the primary drivers of mind control because we have to take every thought captive and resist fear. You're going to have a testimony that is a justice case against the kingdom of darkness. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I have an awesome episode in store for you guys. Gary Wayne returns, and we're going to be covering werewolves, dogman, lichens, cynocephaly, cynocephalus. I mean, there's a couple ways to pronounce it. It just means the head of a dog on a man. Gary goes through historical evidence and references, and it's it's unbelievable. We cover shapeshifters. Towards the end of the episode, get into modern day superheroes, where they originated from, what's really going on there. There's a little moment where Gary brings up vampires. We kind of touch on that. These creatures are recorded all the way back into history from the secular sources and believe it or not, even in our Bible. Yes, that's right. Just take this ride with me and Gary Wayne. I'm not wasting any more time. Let's get into this episode. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Let's go! Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're living in these days where it is imperative that we are joining together in humility and in preference of just the truth of what's going on in this world. So I would like to cover this topic and I have the perfect person here to go over this with me tonight, Gary Wayne. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me back and uh, so happy to be here. And I think the topic is uh, an absolutely fascinating topic and I think we're gonna raise a few eyebrows today. 
that seems to be the theme every time you show up. There's a bunch more questions and requests of covering different topics. So the ancient Greeks, uh, this can be pronounced a couple of different ways. We were kind of talking about this off air a few minutes back and Sinocephalus or Sinocephaly. But the idea is it is a dog headed man. That's this ancient version of werewolf or dog man or uh, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. And I would say that this is uh, one that sort of mystifies a lot of people out there. So we're going to try and dissect this in a way that makes some sense. And we're going to bring it back uh, biblically as well. And so the first thing I would do as a preface for people is, is that there is two different lanes of, of this mythos. Uh, and one is the dogmen. And then the other one that is a little bit different and we have time we'll come back and talk about that after talking about the uh, the dogman it's the uh lycanthropy like i kind of butchered that name but lycanthropy so it is the werewolf sort of aspect of the same kind of creature but distinct and created a little bit differently it seems uh, so what we're um, going to talk about is cynocephaly and uh Again, it's pronounced several different ways, uh, so don't, don't try and focus on the pronunciation of it, the, which one's right, because there's like five or six that I've heard in terms of where they pronounce that. So it is uh, typically understood as a being that is the head of a dog or a wolf um, or a jackal. And uh, so, and again, as a wolf-like head it's still different than the werewolf legacy which again as i said is different and it's considered a race of people and it has the uh uh the in some of the descriptions has legs of a dog so there are some interesting descriptions that come from a biblical perspective through the churches and there is a secular version that goes to this. So the first question sort of when we talk about this sort of dog ideology is that, is it a human-like creature or is it more of a hybrid-like creature? And what I mean by that is a, hu a hybrid animal or a hybrid human angelic or fallen angel type of being. And mm -hmm. so over the years i think what happens is is it gets sort of reduced or the the bloodlines kind of like the nephilim they would become sort of smaller but seemingly these ones also tend to keep their their physical characteristics compared to the serpentine giants as most of them were originally looked like so i tend to look at this and say this is a nephilim kind of creation and created in a similar way as the Nephilim, uh, and perhaps even in an identical way, but I'm open to the fact that there might be some other DNA manipulation that might have gone on on that, but I'm not convinced that that's absolutely necessary, and that the dog mythos of the dog Nephilim is considered lower in the hierarchy of the Nephilim type of creatures, just sort of below Morwen to warrior status, more like the lion men of Moab and the lion-like 
champion of Gad and Arioch, the lion-like king of the four giant kings of Mesopotamia in Genesis 14 in the War of Giants of the four kings against five, as some people might uh, reference it. So I'm just going to sort of begin with some interesting sort of notes on being the secular version of, of the dogmen or the polytheist version as you go further back in history it's basically they don't have secularism even though they have historians it's a polytheist historian just <laughs> dude this is great i'm ready <laughs> right? man let's do this <laughs> just to, to you know sort of put that on the table so yeah you have uh hesiod who is um and you know, considered one of the first of the ancient historians in Greece. And he recorded offspring of a god named uh, Hepesind in uh, his recordings. And it's from a fragment uh, 40a from Papyra 1358. Uh, and it has to do with uh, a god that is creating dog men and in this case because of how it's being created it, it looks like it's it's a dog nephilim so if we roll that forward to herodotus who's kind of you know considered you know one of the fathers of history um, he records uh in in his book the histories that you have the marmite and the berbers of libya and that's in book four of uh of, of, of histories and in 170 and 193 in terms of the, the verse numbers. And this is again talking about these dog men and these dog warriors. And, and the dog men are thought to be a very powerful um, set of warriors. And typically in the beginning, they're considered to be larger than humans, not the size, the same size as the Nephilim, but still larger than humans. And then Pliny confirms uh, Herodotus' accounts and actually says that maybe the ones that he's confirming and, and documenting were actually larger, were actually giants, because he confirms that they're eight cubits tall. So depending on how you're going to measure that cubit um, as of 18 inches, which would be a standard cubit, and these aren't kings. So whereas, whereas Josephus says you should measure the giants as a royal cubit as 21 inches, these weren't kings. These were just the mercenary class. And again, within the mythos, the Dogmen are mercenary warriors that are used by several, many nations of the ancient world. And so eight cubits would be 12 feet tall, as opposed to 14 feet tall as, as what a... Um, Nephilim would be. So Gilgamesh, for example, a post-Diluvian giant, was 11 cubits tall, king of Uruk, so he'd be measured at 19 feet tall. And Og, uh, based on his bed size and the last of the Raphaim, at, his bed was nine cubits tall. Um, so he would have been probably, uh, you know, in the 12 to 14 foot range as well, but he was extra wide as well. So they were stout. So typical ratio was a two to one ratio. We don't get that kind of ratio with the dogmen, but this 12 to 14 foot confirmation by Pliny is, is uh, very, very important. And that comes in uh, book four, chapters 29 and verses 281 to 86. 
Cestius is another historian who wrote, writes a book called Indica. And he lived uh, <clears throat> later than these other uh, historians, um, probably around 170 to 200 BC, as I, I, uh, I, I, as I recollect. And Indica is a book about India. So he locates these dogmen in India. Roll forward with some historians, and you get uh, Marco Polo, who is going to be going into the Mongolian Empire and visiting with, uh, uh, I can't remember which Khan off the top of my head, but the one that, not, not Genghis Khan, but maybe Kubla Khan, I think is, is the one that's coming to mind right now. So let's mm-hmm. say, you know, that's before 1400, but, you know, it is in the AD period, and he's talking about an island of dogmen. And in yeah. China, we're getting information from uh, their history that there's a race of dogmen from the Tiangao, or the Tengu, as they're also known, which are sort of bird-like or Anunnaki-like gods, uh, as they're depicted in, in Sumeria and also understood in the East. And so... Um, during uh, the, the Liang dynasty, there's a, an island named like Fusang Island that's close to Japan. So there's a whole island of these ones that I think Marco Polo was referencing there. And that comes in the history of the northern dynasties. And then another uh, historian, explorer Giovanni, uh, he explores in the 1200s and um, describes the Khan dynasties talking about these dog people as well. So you get a sort of a strong kind of uh, history coming out of secular historians or polytheist uh, historians. So this is not something that we sort of ought to take lightly. Now, before I go further, I just thought I'd lay that down and I thought maybe, Rod, you might want to jump in because I already provided a, a, you know, a fair bit of information on that. Psalms 2220, deliver thy soul from the sword my darling from the power of the dog. Then we have Proverbs 26.11, as a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. The list goes on and on, but Philippians 3.2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. And so I see these references where it's like, you know, obviously we're talking about a, a canine, a dog that has been domesticated, that's walking around on all four, in some verses, but other verses, there's like this mystery of like, whoa, hold on here. There's something more going on. Psalms 22, 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands. Uh, Gary, I mean, I'm looking at that and I'm just going, what is going on here? We have modern day reports of dog man. We have the Bible kind of in in a weird way, making strange reference to something more than just a dog who's running around the neighborhood. I mean, yeah. So, and I'm going to nail the way the Bible talks about dogs is rather unique. And uh, I'm going to come back to these types of verses and other ones that I think will be very, very eye opening once I sort of litigate more of the case for the existence of these, of these dog nephilim. Um, and we'll start to make some of that uh, sort of connection a little bit clearer here as we go. So I was talking about uh, Giovanni, 
the explorer and historian, and he was writing about, and it was in, in his time, he was referring to Ogadai Khan. Um, and in uh, an area called, you know, referencing an area called, you know, Lake Bacal, um, that were inclusive of these armies that were including the these dog warriors. And he actually named in his accounts this specific island that was Dog Island, which was the home of the dog warriors of the east, um, as being... Uh, Anganain, so A-N-G-A-N-A-I-N. It could be with a soft G, too, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Uh, Anjanin, you could pronounce it as well in a few different other ways. And as I was mentioning about some of the Greek accounts and the Roman accounts in North Africa, as the Marbate and the Berbers, this is in the country specifically of Serenica in North Africa as, as Herodotus. Uh, details it. Now, as we sort of look at those North African accounts, you have a very famous god that is named uh, Anubis, who is the god of the dead, and he's a uh-huh. jackal god. Yeah. And he's depicted as with a jackal glyph in hieroglyphs, you know, for the spelling of his name. And he is thought of in Egyptian history and mythology to have created significant amounts of dog nephilim. So much so that they lived in a specific city in North Africa, and it was called Sinopolis, which <laughs> translates, and this is literally written down in the histories, and, and that means dog city. Yeah, so right here, or the okay. city of the dogs, if you want to, to define it that way. That's and then also, isn't it? So there were so many that actually had their city. And that's why you have so many North African references, but there are other references as, you know, as what we were talking about. So, and what's also interesting in the uh, Egyptian accounting is there's an interesting god named Duamutaf. D-U-A-M-U-T-E-F, and he's the son of Horus or Osiris, depending on which um, version that you're reading of that accounting, and he's one of four sons. And uh, he was also born of the lily flower, and that's usually a reference to a matriarchal god line that's associated with Tiamat and Lilith out of Sumerian pantheon. And Dua Mutaf is also... um, the head has the head of a jackal and his image would appear on Egyptian canopic jars and on coffins um, as part of sort of protection because these are like mercenary uh, demigods, the, the, uh, the Sinocephalies, you know, to, to go through, you know, the city of, uh, uh, you know, not the city of the dead, but you know, in the afterlife, they're looking, you know, for protection on that. Yeah. So, and what's also interesting is is that when I mentioned uh, Tiamat uh, as being part of that fairy uh, lily uh, matriarchal bloodlines to the creations of the giants, she was a serpent god goddess and married to uh, Absu in the Sumerian pantheon, and has equivalent in um, other pantheons just as e- egypt would have uh 
an equivalent of a mother goddess that created a lot of kinds of different beings. So let's say like uh, Bast would be one of the creations of the Egyptian um, equivalent. But I like using the one, uh, the account of the Enuma Elish about Tiamat. And here's the type of things that she created. It said she created the Hydra, you know, the multi-headed dragon, the hairy hero, which Nephilim were <laughs> thought to be very, very hairy, <laughs> the great demon. The scorpion man, fish mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. the bull man. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just one of these sort of constants that sort of comes up out of, uh, out of history. It's kind of important to kind of keep uh, all of that sort of in mind that this isn't just from one location. And so when we have historians talking about places in India, and also you have places in China and, and counts all over the world, just as you'll get accounts of these dog beings that come, Aztec accounts, Mayans, yeah. North Americans, and you have these dog warriors yeah. that are also uh, throughout uh, the First Nations of North, uh, Central, and, and South America. And throughout so, Asia... I'll just sort of go back to to them a little bit uh, before I start connecting it back to church history and stuff. The Liang dynasty that I talked about and the history of Liang Shu that, as I said, has that island of dogmen just off of the the country of of Japan. And it's understood as not only dog island, but it's understood as the dog kingdom that has a culture and it has a hierarchy it, it, it is sort of emulating you know, human society. So there's an accounting um, within Pan Hu of the Yao people, of, uh, of the Chiangjiang that will eventually become the Tibetan people, um, uh, of these uh, races that are created by a, gull, a god called Pan Ku. And Panku was a shapeshifter who founded several races, and one of them included was the dogmen, uh, and the and or the dragon or the serpent men, which would be more sort of uh, you know Nephilim type of individuals as opposed to the you know the serpentine look from the seraphim. And I understand that you have dragon creator gods in China too, um, and these are the ones that settled in the mountains sort of towards India. And these are the ones that I think Cestius in Greece was uh, making account of and uh, the Yao people. So um, India in the Sumatra um, also is talks about the dog warriors and the dog men. And, uh, and it's in the country of the, the Veranda car. And uh, they had mouths like dogs. Now, in the accounting of the dog people, you get ones that can speak and one that ones that can't. So there's again, there's some sort of split or maybe created by different gods out of different cult, ancient cultures. But there tends to be two different versions on whether or not that they that they could uh, speak or not. They were hired as mercenaries, and so when you hear about the terminologies of like you know, the dogs of war, right? Mm-hmm. You start to start to understand that that is reflecting this ancient sort of history. And some people say, well, that's like with 
you know, uh, other beings that are created, like, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the the dog of mythology, Cerebius, I, I believe it is. Very close Cerebius. to that, anyways. Uh, and, but, you know, it's, it, those are different beings. These are rabid chimera like dogs, and they're not human like. They're, yeah. they're, they're a weapon sort of of war as opposed to, um, this mercenary sort of concept. So you you get a mercenary sort of concept of these dog warriors um that 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 uh come through uh the Bible. And so you know if we look at um somebody by the name of uh, Caleb who's a, a Kenizzite, right? And 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 you look up his men and it basically, you know, he's a mercenary that's being hired. Um, in the time of the Exodus, oh my and his name means essentially dog, right? Oh, so dude, I'm not saying he was here. a dog warrior. That might just be no, coincidental, yeah. but it's it's so interesting to sort of look at it from that kind of perspective. Is there, is there more to it than that? Well, you, let me interject this here just real quick. It, this has been ringing. You talk about the Sinoopolis was Psalms fifty nine six. They return at evening. Hmm. They yeah. make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Part of the howlings, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just so weird. And what about the legend of St. Christopher? There's all kinds of really weird stuff going on there. That's um, that's talked about in like the strange Catholic perspective, if you will, like the fringe Catholics at least. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think I butchered the name a little bit. Uh, Cerebus. I'm going to butcher it again. Cerebrus. <laughs> and some people pronounce it Cerebrus. So the, oh, Cerebrus. Yeah, the, the hound, of the hound from Hades. The monster yes, watchdog yes, 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 that yes. guarded the, uh, the entrance to Hades. Oh, my he gosh. He actually had three heads and a serpentine yeah, tail a... and you know snakes coming out of his body. Yeah, so that's different kind of being than what we're talking about here. But again, those those types of creatures that the gods uh, talked about. So. so, so Gary, right here in this, um, it's called WeirdCatholic.com. It's actually an official article that was done by Thomas L. McDonald, August tenth of twenty eighteen. It's this Saint Christopher, a dog-headed man, <laughs> repents and becomes yeah. St. Christopher. It's like, this is so freaking weird. It is, and it goes what back to on? the same sort of mythos that, that we've been talking about. He gets converted to Christianity, and he's a mercenary. Uh, he's captured yeah. in Libya, where a lot of the dog people are. He's not classified in the Roman Catholic version, or depicted in the Roman Catholic version as a dog, but he is in the Eastern Orthodox. is very interesting right yeah and so you have some history of the sinocephalic people though in the roman church though so i think at some point in time there's a editing out in the time of augustine of hippo in the book that he wrote the city of god or the city of blood he said that the Sinocephalics were um, likely part human. St. Jerome talked about it in, in Liber de, de Monsterosis 
Omnibus Orentes. That's, that's in English, the Book of Monsters of the Orient. <laughs> he talks about these dogs, people. And as, as we oh talked gosh. about in Eastern Orthodox, uh, St. Christopher is depicted as, you know, with the head of a god. And he's depicted in the uh, Kievan Psalter in 1397, you know, as a, as a, as a warrior and as a, as a dog warrior. So there's a strong sort of mythos that's coming down through church history that there there are these these dog people and again these things sort of get sanitized in 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 the modern world it's yeah my head's kind of spinning on this uh we already talked about the two different views the east and the western church and that church split in a thousand AD over some doctrinal issues um, but the background of a dog-headed Christopher's, it first sort of is laid down in the time of Emperor Diocletian, uh, when a man named Reprobus, R-E-P-R-E-B-U-S, or Reprobus, Reprobus um, yeah. uh, was captured in combat uh, in, in the western part of Egypt. And you guessed it, Cyrenaica that I mentioned before, that were the Marmites and the Berbers were also associated with dogmen or having warrior mercenary orders and so there's a there's a unit of soldiers that's talked about in that history um, that is hagiographic narrative or a holy scroll narrative of, of the roman church that was assigned to the name uh, numerous ameritarum or a unit of the marmite which suggests an otherwise sort of identified type of people and or the the Marmake Berber of Serenica, which where uh, St. Christopher comes from. <laughs> right. So you get oh more and gosh. more sort of details the further that you dig, that yes. you dig down into this. And that um, in the Byzantine depictions of St. Christopher as a dog headed warrior and converts to Christianity, they they look at him as as a Canaanite, um, so somehow connected back to the Canaanites who would have been intermarrying with 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 the Rephaim, and that uh, and if you look at you know where the North Africa nation sort of rises from, it comes from the Phoenicians, which are you know part of the descendants of Sidon and the. Raphaim that they're intermarrying with, and through their trade, they, they set up Carthage and sort of set, set up that empire there. So that's how it sort of connects back to that version in terms of of the uh, of, of Can Canaanite. There's a okay. prayer 93 of St. Gregory Nereg's Book of Lamentations to the Oriental Orthodox Prayer Thread. It's in section L, um, and it, it has a really interesting reference you're going to uh, uh, appreciate. So it reads like this, and I'm just going to read from it. So okay. This miraculous oil brings the blessing of the light to the Jew and the Gentile, the Indian and the barbarian, the Scythian and the Greek, the cruel savage and the fearsome dog-headed giants, the freeborn master and the slave by birth, making them Christians, baptizing them in your name, dedicating them to your Holy Spirit and adopting them in the, as the true sons of your Heavenly Father. That's a church prayer. <laughs> wow. Do you think that the canine, right? Like like we literally just use the word canine to describe a dog because of 
the long, sharp teeth that are in the front on the top and bottom. We call those canines. Do you think that has any connection at all to like the, the canines or anything? So I know it's a weird question, but. Yeah, a lot of people make that connection. I've not etymologically been able to uh, make that connection, but okay, I don't okay. rule it out, right? Uh, certainly yeah. a possibility. One thing that I do know that I find is quite interesting is that there was an Abim god that comes into play here. Uh, and Abim, for people who don't know, that's one of the Raphaim tribes that were settling in the Gaza region and were there as aboriginal giants um, and then were defeated by the Philistines when they um, come over and then they become intermarried and actually retain one of the five cities under their rule in, in the Philistine Empire. So they oh have a god gosh. that's a little bit further east as well because there's a civilization of Avim that's a little bit more towards Mesopotamia and that they have a god that they worship named uh, Nebas and okay. in the uh, Two Kings 1731. So if you start to look at who is this Nebaz? You don't get a whole bunch of information on it, but he's defined by Strong's as the barking god. So now we have <laughs> yeah. Yeah. now we have a barking god that's in the Bible, right? Just as with the lion, then you have oh, Nergal that's in the Bible as these lion gods, right? So the concept of this is is that because the as with 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 the seraphim who were serpent based angels, that when they took uh, this this physical body in the physical world, um, they created an oikaterion, a dwelling place for their spirit, which is the soul and the body, and their spirit would go in. And because they developed the body, they could then procreate with humankind. And in doing so, they would pass on their DNA. And mm -hmm. their offspring would look like them. So when you understand that there's uh, accounts of Anubis creating hundreds of thousands of these barking warrior mercenary uh, individuals, then it starts to sort of make some sense. And we have a barking god in, in the Bible. And what's also interesting is, is there's a couple of kings in, in Judges 7.25 and they're also mentioned again, I think, in Psalms 83. And uh, they're named Oreb and Isaiah. Mm. It, it's interesting about these two kings. And if, if people remember the wars of the conquest of the Covenant Land, and just before they crossed into the Jordan River, they're defeating mm -hmm. the Raphaim king Sihon and Og. But after that, they go back to the five Pentapolis kings and cities of the Midianites who are allied with Sihon and Og, and they slaughter the five kings. Well, a little bit later on, oh. right, you have um, Zayab, that means oh, no. basically wolf in, in the Bible, right? Yeah. <laughs> what, they're, what they tended to do is, is they named themselves after the gods that they kind of worshipped and the whole patronymic and, uh, you know, um, aspect to to what they did. So now you roll back to where they fit in sort of the hierarchy. And what I find quite interesting is is that you have in the Goliath account 
Um, mm. And you were referencing passages, you know, like we're referencing dogs as being, you know, not very good animals and, you know, a, a sort of a, uh, a term not looked at fondly you know, as beings, dogs in the Bible, right? So Goliath yeah. Yeah. Is, is asking David if he thinks he is a dog by the way he's treating this whole affair. It's like, I'm not a low-level dog Nephilim. I'm a full-blown oh Raphaim Nephilim, gosh. right? Yeah. It's yeah. Just, you just can't make this stuff up. Uh, and it right. just well, sort of... Second Samuel 3, verse 8. Then Abner, very wroth for the words of, I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name, Isha Bothished, said, Am I a dog's head, which against yeah. Judah do show kindness to you unto you this day, the house of, uh, of Saul? Yeah. <laughs> it's obviously not used as a good terminology here. <laughs> no, it's not. And that they would take the heads of these of these warriors and keep them as things to scare people with or as, <sighs> you know, it's... Uh, it's a very, uh, very interesting um, set wow. of things that are dropped in the Bible that is sort of uh, explainable. So, um, one of the hardest things for me, Gary, is like I'm listening to you and I'm making these like many kind of suspected connections in my head, and then you're dropping like another bomb that's like just enhancing <laughs> it. All right, Gary, I want to ask you this. So, you talk about likings. Most of people from the millennial generation, they're going to remember, you know, there was a good amount of movies. Um, I think if I'm remembering correctly, it was like, oh, geez, I forget the name of it, but it was vampires versus these werewolves. And, yeah, you the know, was, yes. yeah, and the lichens, it goes into like these bloodlines and like the one brother, Michael or whatever, he was cursed and would turn into a werewolf. But the, during the medieval times, we all know that uh, they wrote a lot about their travels and things that were encountered and it was it was just narrative that was very relevant to them it wasn't entertainment but what is going on with the lichens I, how do we separate that from the cynocephalus which are yeah commonly depicted as the head of a dog on a man referred to as a people with um you know cities and islands spread throughout the unknown world in those times and how do we separate them from like this kind of more like the spiritual, the creepy, um, the werewolf or the lichen who seems like he can literally slip into a different realm, almost like he can unzip a veil and step right into it and disappear before your eyes. Because that's a very relevant thing that these creatures supposedly can do is just disappear on a dime. Yeah. Thanks. Interesting. So let me begin with your reference to the movies about the Lycans and being this rival bloodline. And who are their, okay. their rival bloodline with that they're sometimes allied with or sometimes have wars with and there's fight they're fighting over kind of, I think, where basically where they fit into um, this giant society, if we could put it that way. So the mm -hmm. Lycans are an allegory for this race of people or this bloodline of people, just as the people they're fighting are the vampires, right? And the vampires, um, you know, that whole mythos in modern understanding is based on the Dracula vampire, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that has an ancient history, but this is Vlad the Impaler that they're sort of establishing this new mythos on. And uh, he's part of the, you know, takes his bloodlines back to the Tuatha de Danan and to a tribe that is descended out of Hercules and a specific angel that 
they call Tamiel, and we we would know in the Book of Enoch as as Kezidea. But his name is Dracula in the uh, vampire version that's written by Bram Stoker. And so Dracul means a dragon, and A added on is the son of the dragon, and he was the son of Vlad the Impaler, uh, another Vlad the Impaler, his father. And he was introduced in, into the Ordo Draconis. And that in ancient understanding, the ancient dragon is understood as the same kind of being as a serpent, just as the devil called in Revelation 12, not only Satan, but also a serpent and a dragon. And a seraphim angel is this angelic dragon has six wings. So in part, Satan is part of that realm, but there's an order of seraphim, serpent-faced angels that are watchers that are also described in Isaiah 6. So having said that, that word dragon goes back to Greek as draconta or dracon. And it means watcher. What? Oh, yeah, man. it does. And so you have okay. this allegory that's in the occult of the dragon bloodline, which is the matriarchal bloodline. I had mentioned the, I mean, the patriarchal bloodline. I had mentioned the matriarchal bloodline that, you know, goes back to Lilith and Tiamat. This goes back as a, a bloodline to the male seraphim gods or the sons of God in Genesis six and or if there's a recreation of giants after the flood to those angels who recreated the Raphaim after the flood. So that's kind of this whole imagery of the occult. They're they're just talking about their history in plain sight. They're just making a fabulous fairy tale out of it, like a horror genre of a fairy tale. And the true meaning is understood with the allegories and everything that they that they put in. And that's why Dracula um, you know, drinks blood because the Nephilim drank blood, right? And they did that for immortality, just as for the the vampires to stay immortal, they have to drink humans' blood, right? And you get the cobra fangs on there. And the, the imagery is just absolutely astonishing. And of course, they're, they're the en- enemies of, of humankind. So now let's, now that I've let set that down, let's uh, maybe talk about where the werewolf mythos comes from and again it comes out of greek history for the best version of it and there's an offspring god after the flood uh, named zeus you know the father of hercules who vladimir taylor takes his bloodlines back to that's a different rabbit hole um but what zeus does as the uh the chief god of the offspring gods after the flood from mount hermon from mount uh olympus i'm sorry um he has a Raphaim hero giant king in his reign in Arcadia that <laughs> is doing things that is displeasing Zeus in significant ways. And this Neph- oh Nephilim or Raphaim king is named King Lycaon in Arcadia. Oh, of course. Of course. Oh, so what? what Zeus does to punish uh, king like Haon is is he transforms the king and all of his immediate family into werewolves, but with the ability to have a shape shifting capability. Just as you have that also shown with the vampires, they can sort of just instantly disappear or take different forms like yeah. wolves as well, right? Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of bizarre. Again, sort of making a, a linkage 
in that mythos. But that's the different strain. So these are changeling individuals um, that's talking about that bloodline, I think, in, in more of a fairy tale allegory than anything else. But they have a dis, sort of a dis, distinct um, capability, not generally attributed to the Nephilim or the Raphaim, although some people say that they, they're changelings even to this day, the Nephilim and Raphaim, and that's how they can hide amongst us because they make themselves look like human beings, but I don't really have any evidence to substantiate that. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence skinwalkers right and a lot of these like you know witchcraft doctors from like the um, american indian you know they keep these oral traditions unfortunately we don't have any writings to go back through and, and to really dissect or take a strong look at but they would have a a coat from the animal that they killed and there was some like process where they would be able to by having um, the skins of that animal and through their witchcraft, they would be able to transform into that animal. And there's some other stories in history. You have people claiming that they take the skins of this animal and then can represent it. So interesting, um, that comes to mind. And then the vibration and frequency. I, I think about how a Sasquatch or a dog man or any of these cryptids that are like so well known today, how people say they kind of phase in and then phase out, right? Like, like it's sometimes they can just disappear in the blink of an eye. And other times it's like literally people think they're going nuts because it's been, there's so many reports of them seeing this thing and they're literally like pixelating out, like slowly disappearing. And, and it makes me think like in the spirit world, are these entities able to vibrate at a certain frequency and admit the image of whatever they choose uh, it's just super bizarre but i wanted to bring up real quick revelation 22:15, and i have the um concordance open here and it says for without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie when i click on g2965 I don't know how to pronounce it. It's, the pronunciation supposedly is, is K-O-O-O-H-N. Kuan, maybe? A primary word for dog, hound, literally or figuratively. But isn't a dog supposed to be man's best friend, Gary? <laughs> what are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah, again, it's that reference to dogs in a sort of problematic way or all throughout the Bible, and, and why choose to use it in, in Revelation? Because somehow it has a larger sort of meaning. I think it goes back to that other race of people um, that just, you know, just aren't going to be part of that world going forward. And so I think, you know, that's just my speculation. I mean, it, you, the only way you can connect that back is, is through, okay, it's a Greek word, and, does you know, how does that fit into the uh, mythos coming out of Greek mythology on, on the dog people. And it does connect back because it's the root for the word dog, right? It's, it's... Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kind of sitting here shaking my head because it, nobody is really charting this, this open ocean of questions. This is a problem. There's so much importance right now, Gary, I believe to what we're doing here. 
you know, some people may say it's foolish. Some people may be literally falling off their chair with every word we say. And some people may be right in that middle ground. But yeah. the idea here is, is the importance because there's a plethora of different people that are going to bad sourced information, demonically charged information instead of a humble biblical perspective where it's like, hey, man, like this is my perspective. Pray about it. Go do your research. The Bible says with fear and trembling, we work out our salvation with God. So I don't want any of the listeners to think we're trying to like pound this idea in your head, but, but the references are there in the biblical narrative. And it's a problem that the modern day church, you know, that, that, that people aren't even making a juxtapose at this. They're, they're literally just not even touching it with a 50 foot pole at this point. And what you're, you've done for my mind so far, I just, you said in the beginning, every time I miss raise an eyebrow, we're doing much more than that. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's good when we get people thinking. And yes, yes, I have a I have another thing for people to think about in our in our modern society. Um, we have uh, a culture right now that is just uh, overflows with superhero movies and superhero this right. People need to sort of understand that heroes in Greek mythology were giants. They're the offspring, they're demigods, they're the offspring of gods and human females or and human males and, 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 and Greek goddesses. And demigod is understood that way is th that's the ancient definition, the offspring of a god and a, and a human. And they were called heroes. And when we look at the giants described in Sumer, they're called heroes. Like Gilgamesh is yes. one of the heroes of Uruk. Uh, we have translations of the English Bible that would translate, um, you know, the the mighty men and the men of renown in Genesis six four as uh, in a modern translation of the heroes of old. Right there's this um, understanding, and Josephus brings it with his understanding of Judaic history at the time of the Romans to salvage. Uh, uh, the, to ensure to the Romans that all of Hebrew history wouldn't be lost because they're basically destroying them as a nation, but they decided they wanted a record of it, of, of that history. And, you know, they understood that, uh, and he says that they understood the Nephilim and the Raphaim as the same as the demigod offspring of the gods in Greek history and, uh, and it, as it is in, in other cultures. And taking that back to the superheroes today, if we sort of look at what is being described and told in basically a fairy tale genre of these superheroes, they are basing these superheroes on ancient giants, the ancient creation of humans and, and fallen angels. So the classic one to sort of link this back before I, I, I start providing some some names here is that sort of the first superhero of our age kind of goes back to, you can make a, an argument, Batman or uh, Superman. I think it's more Superman, but I'll connect Batman in, in a minute. And so Superman is from the House of L. Um, yeah, yeah. And and he and his father are Dural and Doral, right? It's uh, 
that is the house of El. El in Hebrew is an angel or a god. And yeah. it's transliterated throughout the Middle East as in with an A-L spelling and I-L and I-L-U and A-L-L-A-H for Allah would be a feminine uh, format of that same transliteration. And so these are uh, the sons of the house of El. So Baal is the son of God as or son of El in the Canaanite pantheon. And he produces the Raphaim that are recorded in the Ugaritic texts as the Raphiu and the Raphaim. And they're doing fertility uh, rituals and whole, whole sorts of things that I won't go down this rabbit hole right now just to sort of make that connection. And so that's the first superhero. So now you roll that forward to, uh, let's say, um, Batman, which is one of the older ones. In, in the Popol Vuh, you have the Zabalba, as I was yes, discussing, yes, yes, yes. mentioned earlier. And these are bird or Anunnaki kind of headed uh, demigods, offspring of a specific god and called demigods. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're also known as the Tengu. So they have warriors, they have a priest class, but in the Popol Vuh, uh, they're they called the Zobalba. There's a branch of the Zobalba called Kamazots. C M A Z O T Z. If they Google it, you'll probably get this image that comes up um, that has this sort of outfit that Batman wears. And the Kamazots. It's Batman's outfit, yeah. Yeah. It's and Kamazots was the house of the bat. In the focal root. <laughs> I, I again, I'm not. You can't make this stuff up. So you start no, making you those sort of connections. You so can. do we have dog superheroes? Uh-oh. Well, yes, Uh-oh. we do. I remember when I no. was young, there was a one called Super Dog. <laughs> uh, you have Timberwolf. You have Man Wolf. You have Wolf Thing. Oh, you have a, yeah. a Dino Dino. You have Underdog. You have yeah. Uh, you know, and on. I won't go through all of them. You have Wonder Dog, Hyper Dog, um, and you have lots of serpent uh, superheroes as well. Yeah. Then there's another one because it's been sort of popular in sort of movie and its uh, literary connection. You have Beowulf, right? Which yeah. is obviously talking about a demigod wolf type individual. And in the original writings of Beowulf, they also mentioned Dogman. I mean, again, you just can't make this stuff up. So, so hold on. For some reason, I just had the connection or, or what popped into my head was the scripture where um, you're sent out uh, amongst many wolves, right? And then yeah. um, some pretend to be a sheep. They're clearly a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's just like Nakash in Genesis 3, right? Snake that we get in English, but like to hiss, right? So like, you sneak there. So when I think we're hearing about these verses where they're saying like a wolf. We're talking about characteristics of a wolf that it was easy to maybe translate that word when we got the English. But the further it seems like guys like you and and, and a couple others I'd put into this category as like beyond researchers. I mean, you guys, Second Corinthians talks about there's those who teach, there's shepherds of the flock, right? There's the gift of servitude. We should desire the gift of prophecy. You know, we see these different gifts that God gives the body. And when you see the church function, and I don't like beating up on the church because I, I am a member of the church, but they won't touch any of this, right? They won't. You can go and check in at your local building in most places. 
and it's like clockwork. They're going to be covering the same message they covered last year at this time. And if you bring up any personal experiences or curiosities or just anything at all, it's almost like it gets dismissed. And I think it was um, Sean Carter said a few years ago, I was talking with him about, and I love using this secret backdoor to Christianity reference where it's like, why? Why can't we go there? Like the Bible is not going to disappear if men and, and women decide, hey, I'm interested in these topics. We need this ammunition. We need to know that the Bible is giving us direction. The Bible has authority over these topics. And I don't see anybody else covering Dogman. I, I just I just don't see it. So it's just they a, don't a salute to you, man. It really is. Like keep up the good work. They don't cover it because it just seems so far out there. Uh, for people who are listening, yeah. we, we sort of skimmed through a lot of information today. Mm-hmm. I have a, a three-part series that I documented, uh, different aspects, the church aspect, different countries. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a document if people want to get a hold of me on my website at the Genesis6Conspiracy.com. That's the number 6Conspiracy.com, Genesis6Conspiracy. Um, just contact me, ask for uh, the series on, on Dogmen and Dog Nephilim, and I'll send it to you. I do that at no charge. There's a lot of things you brought up tonight that I could suspect a, a fourth <laughs> a fourth encounter here on the show sometime next year. <laughs> <laughs> Always and lots to talk about. <laughs> April of this year, you were talking about a book that you had ready potentially by the fall. Um, you said yeah. you are going to keep it under... 5,000 chapters, I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the first book is 98 chapters, right? Yes, so sir, yeah. my promise was to keep it smaller than that. So, But I I, I, I am my own worst enemy at times. So it, it, it is going to be smaller. It's not finished yet. I've done the 84 chapters I'm going to do. I, I'm, I'll just write more books down the road, but hopefully shorter <laughs> ones. You just put more and more in it. This one is uh, going to be called the Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2. Still working on the, the subtitle. It'll be something like how understanding prehistory helps define end-time prophecy. And the subject of the book is to... Because I get a lot of feedback uh, from people doing shows through my website, through social media, and they just mm-hmm. want more information. And so... The first book that I wrote I thought was very, very good. I didn't want to write a sequel because I didn't want to be redundant, but the Christian audience, my you know, my target audience, wants to go deeper. And they want to know everything about the angels. They want to know as much as they can about giants and how does all of that sort of connect into prophecy because they see all of these connections that are, are there on the peripheral, but nobody puts it into context. That's what I do here, and I go very deep. And uh, there is so much in there. I mean, it's 84 chapters, so it's not a it's not a small subject. Should be out by the end of the year, I hope. All right. Well, maybe we can have you on in the spring of 23, and we can talk about talk about the book and just jump into some of these other wild topics. We want the body of Christ to be equipped with everything that we need, that we can have an answer in season and out of season. Do not be deceived to the devil's devices and, and how he operates, which is called to be as wise as a serpent, but as harmless as a dove, and not to be ignorant to this this whole entire spectrum of darkness that is such a mystery to those of us who have the power. We believe in Christ. 
We are a temple of the living God. We have the power that he says we have. It's not of ourselves. It's not our own. And as you guys continue to dig deeper and just keep diving in, take up the armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the enemy. Gary, always an honor, always a pleasure. I love the fact that this conversation just keeps developing over the years now. Thank you for being here with me again tonight. Well, thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, please invite me back anytime. Thank you for being here on this show and taking this journey with me. Coming to you from southeastern Pennsylvania, God bless America. Goodbye.